One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name's Jess Phillips, and this is yours sincerely. At the start of the first lockdown, in my work as an MP, I was seeing lots of my constituents who were losing loved ones to COVID-19 without a chance to say one last goodbye. It got me thinking about what I would say to my husband and kids if I never got a chance to tell them how much I loved them. So I wrote them each a letter. I still keep it in a safe place. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words on paper. So in this podcast... I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Stephanie Hurst is a DJ, presenter and public speaker who has hosted radio shows for the BBC, Hit 40 UK and Capital FM. And today, I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. Hello, Steph. How are you doing? Hello, Jess. I'm good. I'm good. It's really nice to speak to you again because I interviewed you ages ago when you were releasing your book, Truth to Power, which I have here. Oh, one of my many books. Books, yeah. (laughs) I loved chatting to you because I just think, you know, you get what you see. And I remember it because I, it was on one of those occasions where you're put on like a media round. I'd been like driven to Manchester in the morning, put in this booth in Salford, like a little radio booth that is just in the, the reception area of the BBC in Manchester. Yeah, it's just when you walk into reception in Salford, yeah. it's on the side, isn't it? I've done it, yeah. And they said to me, like, you just go in, the, like, it's like the TARDIS. I was like, what, into this box? You want me to just sit in this box for like four hours? Um, it's just like, okay, yeah. I'm in this box. Did they feed you ginger in the day, though? That's the main thing. (laughs) They didn't feed me anything. Oh, really? The BBC, the standards have slipped. (laughs) The unique way it's funded. (laughs) I've got three TV licences. Yeah, see. Could have sprung for a cup of tea. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, as this podcast is all about letter writing, are you an avid letter writer? And it doesn't have to necessarily be like pen to paper letters, but do you, you know, you sort of emails and are you someone who does that? Yeah, I do. I do like to email, although I do, they do build up sometimes. So I can take a whole day out applying to people, but I wish I could actually, and I can write letters, but I'm left-handed. And because I'm left-handed, my handwriting is appalling. It's dreadful. And I just wish if there's one thing I could have in life, it would be just to have neat handwriting. 
I wish it's one thing I just one of the things I wish I'd been given. Is there a left-handed person in the world? We're going to find this out now. Let's put this question out. Who has lovely neat handwriting? My brother is left-handed. And of course, that's where the term cack-handed comes from, doesn't it? It's certainly in Ireland, I think it was, that they referred to people who were left-handed as if it was a sign of the devil. And so it was they, in convent schools, they used to try and beat it out of people because <laughs> only the devil would write with his left hand for some reason. I don't know why. They did with me when I was younger. You know, they tried to get me to write at school with my right hand and I was having none of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm, le- I'm very much left-dominant. I mean, there's just no way around the fact that it's going to smudge your writing. When I'm writing cards to people, I really have to concentrate I'm fine with the spelling. It's just making sure that it looks neat. I really have to really focus and really concentrate. I might even go to the extent of actually getting a piece of paper and practising it first. Oh, my gosh. So it really would take a lot of, you know, thoughts for you. Yeah, it just it means a lot to me because, you know, I've, I, I have times where people have gone to me. I've given them a birthday card and they've gone, what does that say? Oh, it's wanting to look nice. It's not much to ask, is it? <laughs> Do you have letters from your past that you keep that are deeply special to you? Um, I Do you know what? I do keep, because I've worked on radio all of my life, starting at the age of 12, making tea for DJs and, you know, they all had mullets in the 1980s. And Can I just say, I can't help but think as somebody not a dissimilar age to you, Steph, that when you just said that, I got the shock of a safeguarding risk. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Massively, massively. Back then you were allowed to go in. I think I was just shy of my 13th birthday and you gave out stickers at roadshows. You put you put records away in the record library. You made tea for the DJs. And there was lots of us, me and Chris Moyles, both started at pretty much the same age and have known each other ever since and remain best, best, best friends to this very day. There were lots of us in, in radio stations up and down the country just getting in at a really early age. So I got on the air at 16 and back then there was no email. So people would write letters to you and they would write the most lovely letters and send cards. And I've kept a lot of those. What's saying that they like the show or trying to give you band tapes to play? Yeah, probably band tapes like John Peel back in the day or something like that. But yeah, I used to get lots of letters because I'd solicit for them. I'd say, you know, if you want to get in touch, here's the address, write in, da, da, da. And it was always nice. So it's nice because my loft, I can be a bit of a hoarder, if I'm honest, a little bit. And it's quite vast, the loft, (laughs) in the fact that it's just full of stuff. And oh, look um, at you with your radio studio oh, effects. You've got to have I've echo. got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you've got echo. <laughs> you can you can bang on a mug or something like that. Yeah, that oh yeah, like the archers. That's <laughs> yeah, made <exactly>. near me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would in, in the loft occasionally if I'm looking for something, I'll be digging around in a box and I'll just find a stash of letters from the mid nineties where people have written in for a, a competition to win a Spice Girls CD, but they've also th- said they love the show or something. And it's it's really heartwarming. People go and take the time to A, buy a thank you card or something, then, you know, write the note inside it and then walk to the post box. It's, it's, it, there's something really magical, isn't it? Yeah, about it. And we get so few personal letters these days 
that it's it's just like total magic when you get them just like even just like a little stamp on it it's just so charming i get a lot of letters from people who uh, you know that i don't know whether you still get used to get them free with charity like a, the stickers with your address on i get quite a lot of those still from like older people who've like had their like, little stickers with their address stuck onto the letter it's so cute you mentioned road shows there. Do radio stations still do road shows? I mean, that I'd forgotten about the existence of, <laughs> basically. I mean, I spent my entire life at, like, you know, some, like, Radio 1 road show or the BRMB party BR&B in the park. BRMB party in the park. Oh, Gosh. my God. That was absolute classic BRMB party in the park. And BRMB, which is, if uh, people don't realise, the sort of main commercial rate, was the main commercial radio station for the Birmingham and Midlands area, when I was a kid, they were like the real trailblazers in what is now the sort of standard of television norms of these sort of shock. They used to do big shock events. Two weddings. And Two they did weddings, the, um, yeah. What was the one where they got uh, some ice? Did some oh my God, this is my favourite story. They got a block of ice and you had to like sit on the ice and whoever could sit on the ice for longest, like you got a car or something. It was like one of the, it's like an American touch the truck sort of thing. But didn't they have and to go to hospital or something? They had to go to hospital, <laughs> yeah. So BRMB was like their absolute pinnacle of sort of culture they were the first people to do this two strangers getting married and that's like yes. a regular show now on channel four oh, of course it is but this was the, this in the 1990s this was completely groundbreaking this was early 1990s as well like it was it was totally groundbreaking but they did a great line in brmb party in the park road shows i can't believe you've kept all those letters people have taken time to write letters and i've got old love letters and bits and pieces and i found out my mum passed away a few years ago, 2013, it was only about two or three years ago that I ended up going through some of her stuff and I found some of her love letters. There was a guy that was writing to her and in this letter, he was talking about that he was listening to a particular song. It was a 1960s song and I got my phone out. I got Spotify and I found the song on Spotify and played it whilst reading the letter that he'd written to my mum. Because whilst he was writing that, he would have been listening to the actual song. And I can't remember what the song was now. But I think it was a Barry Ryan song who sadly just passed away. Because my mum loved Paul and Barry Ryan. These were two big, big stars in the 1960s, two brothers. And I remember reading it and listening to it thinking, wow, this is magical and getting all goosebumps. That is amazing, yeah, the letters. My mum passed away in 2011. And I found some letters, not that she'd written to anyone else, sort of like sort of like diary entries uh, from when I was a tiny baby. And she's just like, she's dragged herself up in her car. <laughs> she's basically slagging me off. Wow. But that is, <laughs> that's priceless, it, isn't it? It is absolutely priceless. Like she's just sort of like, oh, just, you know, I wish that I could be a better mom and stuff. And it's just also, it's priceless because everybody feels like that. You know, that's like how I felt with my children and knowing that, you know, because people become beatified when they die. Like, you know, you can think of them only in terms of perfection often. And actually, you know, she was like, she was just freaking out like everybody else. So in this podcast, we ask people to write letters that celebrate the people who matter to them. And I've asked you to think of three different letters that you would like to write, notwithstanding with your handwriting. Um, So starting with the person who means the world to you, who would your first letter be to, Steph? 
Oh gosh, I'm so lucky that I've got so many incredible people around me and my life. You know, we've all got our little, um, our little tribe, our little social circle, you know, the ones that are in the favourites bit in your phone. And I was flicking through, you know, my favourites and just going, oh, there's all of these people that I'm so blessed and honoured to know and have in my life. Who do I choose? And there's someone who means a great deal to me. And this person was actually my boss for a very long time. And it's a guy called Mike Cass. He's the boss of Virgin Radio actually now. Mike, like me, started really young, got the radio bug, wanted to get into the business, worked his way up, made tea for DJs. Mike, is a, I think he's a year older than me, but he was my boss at a radio station called Galaxy. And there was Galaxy in Birmingham, of course, wasn't there? But he was my, he was my boss in, in Leeds at, at Galaxy Yorkshire, <clears throat> which was the biggest commercial radio station outside London. We had something like 1.3, 1.4 million listeners. I did the breakfast show for over a decade, 11, 12 years or something. And the show was a very dysfunctional show. There was three of us. There was me hosting it. It was called Hester's Daily Dose, back when you had show names like that. It was the notice. An amazing woman called Jojo, who's like the sister I never had. She came to mind straight away. And then there was a guy called Danny who worked on our show as well. We were all dysfunctional and and Mike presided over this and made sure that we didn't get too, you know, raucous, kept us in line. And Mike is one of these people that guided me through my career at that point. And I don't think I would have become the broadcaster I've come today if it wasn't for Mike. Because Mike's one of these people that he, and I know he's probably saying he'll find out about this and be listening to it. <clears throat> and I've said to him many times that he could be really giving you a good telling off or, <laughs> or as I've said before, he could tear you a new arsehole. But you would leave his office feeling like the greatest broadcaster that ever walked the earth. And you knew what, it's just this incredible, wonderful, beautiful skill he has of just making you feel good and making you feel that you have worth and that your talent and creativity and knowledge is, is worth something. And it's, it's so wonderful. And for me, because I, if people don't know my story, I transitioned about, oh gosh, how many years ago? Years ago now. The COVID years don't count, I think. <laughs> the I'm COVID years don't count, so yeah. I'm not counting the COVID <laughs> yeah, exactly. years. I think technically I'm about eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's about eight years ago, something like that. And, um, oh, do you have like a birthday? Like, that's like, you, you're, like you're being born again. No, do, do people you know? do that? That's a good idea. Like, it's a good excuse for a party. I can have three actually, because there's obviously the day I announced it, there's the day I had my lady garden installed. And then there's <laughs> <laughs> it actually, my phone on the day it's written in my diary is Lady Garden installation. Um, can I just say there is a member of the House of Lords who is called Lady Garden? Yes, there is. Every single time she appears on, in, in Parliament, there's enunciators that come up with the name of the person speaking. And every single time her name comes up when I'm in a meeting and it comes up in every room and like there's on all the screens. It just makes me laugh every single time because <laughs> I'm 12. Take me here. <laughs> I never want to grow up. I just, I, 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 find, I find adulting incredibly boring. It's rubbish. Um, 
And uh, yeah, where was that? Ledgate. And then of course I've got my my my, my birthday where I popped out of my mum uh, with the wrong bits. Um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> just little birth defects. It's, I just see it as biology sometimes. Biology gets a bit drunk. It Sometimes it gets things a bit wrong. So, you know, when you go, you've had a few drinks and, you know, you put your mobile phone in the fridge and your TV remote in your handbag and the butter somewhere else. It all goes to, it's all over the shop. And I think biology sometimes does that. You know, you, children are born with learning difficulties, limbs that are different. My brain formed opposite to what I came out with the body. It just didn't match. And I knew that from a very early age, at least three years old when I was at school. And they'd say to all the girls, go over to that side of the classroom. All the boys go over to that side of the classroom. And I'd just go and sit with the girls. That was like my natural state of comfortableness. And they'd say, no, back over there, you. And then they'd do it again. And then I'd go and sit with the girls again. I'm like, come back over here, you. Stay there. So I just knew from a very early age. And I think radio was the the sticking plaster. I was obsessed by it. And I'd found something that made those gender issues. But I couldn't verbalise them. I, I didn't know what it was. You know, when I was finding radio at seven, eight, nine years old, I, I didn't have the vocabulary to be able to just... I remember saying to my mum, I'm, I'm a girl. And she said, no, you're a boy. And I think that... I think the kids at school worked out that I was different before I did, which was tough. So, because I was effeminate, tiny, short, you know, girly. And, you know, they played on that. And, you know, that was, that's why I got horrifically bullied. So, yeah, so I, I just knew from a very early age that this was, you know, something that I had to deal with. And going back to Mike, Mike was at the other side of the world. He was in Australia when... I decided that enough was enough and I was I was about to take my own life because I'd built up this, what someone said to me once, you, you, you've got a charmed life, you. You've got the best job in the world. You're doing the breakfast show on the biggest station outside London. You're on the national chart show on a weekend. You've got all of these amazing things. There's an Aston Martin sat on the drive. There's all of this wonderful stuff. None of it meant anything because I wasn't, been me. And Mike had moved on from, from Galaxy or Capital, it was then, as we changed our name, and he'd gone to work in, in Australia. And Mike was doing long distance Skype calls with me from Australia, counselling me a little bit and talking me through it and helping me find my way in all of this, because I, I genuinely thought that my career was over. I wouldn't be able to broadcast any longer because... I'd seen the way that the British press and the world treats people that transition. You're the lowest of the low. You're the bottom rank on the ladder of society. And I'd see that doing a breakfast show in the morning, you'd have the, you'd have the red top newspapers all around you. So I'd be flicking through the newspapers, finding stories and bits and pieces. And do you know what? A week wouldn't go by without a story about someone who had lost everything by changing their gender. And it would be a, a headline which was gender bending freak, sex change Charlie, really bad photo from a side angle or something like that. So I'd read all this and this was everything that was, you know, you, you soak all this up. And I'd been to my GP when I was 17, when I was really, I was at a low ebb when I was 17. And he, my GP had told him how I felt. And he said to me something along the lines of, I strongly recommend you don't take this path in life. You'll lose family, you'll lose friends, you won't have a successful life. And I was heartbroken. So I kind of went, right, I've got to throw myself into radio. There's nothing else I can do. So I'd built up this knowledge in my mind and this decision that 
there's no, you can't transition and you can't still do your job. So I'm going to have to disappear, go and work behind the scenes or do something else. There was, I just, I couldn't. And it was Mike. And he said some powerful words to me one night because I was going to, I wasn't going to do this publicly. And he said to me, you could save a life. Not lives, a life. And I was sitting there in bed because it's, you know, it's time difference. I've got my laptop on top of the quilt and the fan's going off because it's getting really hot. (laughs) And it was literally, it hit me like a bolt out of the blue. I get choked up now thinking about it because that made me realise that I have got, I'm about to go through something that's incredibly life-changing, but I know from personal experience that I found strength from other people who had transitioned. And it made me really think, and it made me stop thinking about it in a negative way. It made me stop thinking about it, that I should take my life, because I knew that if I lost radio... You know, this is this is what I do. I love radio. I love it more than anything. I adore it. So if I can't do my job, what am I going to do? Now, I've learned since there's lots more I can do, actually. And in recent months, actually, you know, the last year, I, I guess I've, I've found my purpose in life, which I'll come on to shortly. But Mike really showed me that I could do this and I could find my way. And I can't thank him enough for that. Do you think that he knows that you feel this way about him? Yeah, I've told him. Oh, that's I've good. I've told him. I've told did him. He, did he take, how did he take it? Mike gives the best hugs in the world. For anyone that knows him, they will know that he gives the best hugs. Whenever I saw him and whenever I've told him, he just, and whenever I see him, he just holds me tight and... Um, He's an amazing human being. When you're talking about losing your voice, I did uh, an inquiry into, uh, when I was very first elected, there was an inquiry into the the experiences of trans people in, you know, variously. Um, And most of it, I have to say, focused on the way people get treated in health services. And one of the complaints was that people said to me was that if you go to, and I have to say, it's not dissimilar from my experience of being a woman in her sort of 20s and 30s, that if you go to the doctor and say, I've got a sore throat, that they would make it all about your transition. (laughs) And they would ask questions about your transition, which was just literally like, I've just got strep throat, like just give me some antibiotics. Antibiotics. This was one of the complaints, and it's very similar. Like I remember once going with a sore throat to the doctors, and the doctor said, "Asking me when my last period was." I was like, that. "I'm not really sure it's relevant. It's not relevant at all. I've just got a sore throat. Just some amoxicillin. Yeah, I just want some amoxicillin. That's <laughs> it. Erythromycin for me. I'm, I'm allergic to penicillin, and I feel like I'm publicly putting that into the world <laughs> so that if I ever collapse, somebody will know that. But that was one of the things that they said. They said that you know. It's always seen in terms of a health issue that might be related to that, which I suppose is belt and braces. It sort of was being presented to me by both trans men and women as being an issue that they faced. So, yeah, that is uh, that everybody assumes that anything that might ever be wrong with you is because of this. It's because of this. Exactly. (laughs) And it's not. It really isn't. And I think I've learned during my journey that actually the journey was 
that was the easy part. Yeah, transitioning, that was the easy part. Learning to do my job again was the hard part. I thought naively that I could walk back into a radio studio, pick up some headphones and get back on with it. And I joined the BBC in 2015 to do a show on BBC Radio Manchester. And the wonderful, incredible boss there, Kate Squire, I can't thank her enough because she believed in me and gave me a chance and let me get what I like to call air miles, you know, finding my my voice and my craft again. And I got on air and what I heard in my headphones was appalling. It was how I used to sound, but I didn't look like that anymore. I sounded like that and it sounded just wrong. And I used to drive home listening back on the iPlayer, long before BBC Sounds. And sometimes I couldn't see the road for tears because I was crying. I was heartbroken in what I was hearing. It just wasn't matching because as women, our vocabulary is different. The way we use words is different. Our enunciation and pronunciation is different. Everything is different. And I didn't think about that. I thought, well, I could just, yeah, try and feminise my voice a little bit. I'll be fine because I'd known how to do radio all my life, I could just waltz back in and do it. And I couldn't. I was like an injured athlete. And the hardest journey for me in all of this was learning how to do my job again. Learning how to be confident. I didn't tell anyone at all that I was scared, terrified, lost my confidence. I was just heartbroken that I couldn't do this job because I'd worked, I'd been on air since I was 16. By the time I transitioned, I was mid thirties. I'd spent all of those years learning my craft and all of a sudden I couldn't do it. I was injured. Do you wish you'd done it sooner? Transition that is. Yeah. Yeah. Of course I do. Of course Mind I do. You, what's the point in wishing? Yeah. What's the, yeah. Yeah. I wish I'd come out with the right bits and everything had been fine. It didn't. And you can't beat yourself up about that, can you? You just got to kind of crack on with it. But I used to sit at my dining room table, listening back to the show with a pen, writing out everything I'd said on the radio. I'd almost explode it like a schematic. I'd just explode the link. That's what it's called when you when you talk on the radio between two items, two songs or whatever. It's called a link. You're linking things together. So I'd be doing a link and I'd, I'd write it out, what I'd said, and I'd then just look at the words and how I'd use the words. And, and I did that for three and a half years. No one taught me, but I could hear it getting better. And that's what drove me on. You know, like, say, for instance, an athlete will watch back their performances or a footballer or someone who's playing tennis. They'll watch back their performance and they can see things where it's, yeah, that's getting better. It's working. So I'd listen back the next week and I'd hear something that would change. And then I'd listen back six months later to the shows I did right at the start. And go, oh, gosh, it's, it's, it's happening. I'm finding it. But it was slow. And it was only until 2018 where I could find the confidence to take on a daily show, which I did at the BBC in Yorkshire at BBC Leeds. And I did that up until April this year. And the back end of 19, I was on the air one day and I think I did something stupid with my voice. I did a silly voice or something, which I would never do because I was, I'd found this voice and it was staying here and I was not going out of this box. And I'd worked really hard on my voice and I went, I found my groove again. And that was like winning life's lottery. It was the best thing in the world. The best thing. I took myself off to Korea. Um, to Korea? Yeah. <laughs> you went to Korea for your career. Yeah, for my career. <laughs> um, and was muted, essentially. I had vocal surgery 
in Korea, I'd got an injury as well. Because, you know, we were talking about the party in the parks. I'd shouted Gareth Gates really loud because he was headlining back in like when he came second in Pop Idol. And I'd been on stage all day, shouted at the top of my voice and tore part of a vocal fold and I'd got some scar tissue on it. And that was causing problems. So I went to one of the world leaders in vocal specialists uh, in vocal surgery in Korea. They fixed that and tightened my vocal folds as well. For anyone who who has transitioned who's listening to this or anyone who doesn't know much about it and sees stories in the newspapers and doesn't really understand about it and, you know, they go, oh, I don't get it. You're not meant to get it. You know, if you've got chronic back pain, I don't get that because I don't have it. I don't know how it feels. Shit. But I, yeah, (laughs) but I... I empathise with you and I I understand it and I will do anything and I accept it and I'll do anything to make your life easier. And it's just, it's, it's, an, it's, it's an emotion that we all feel, isn't it? Acceptance. So if you had to write the last sentence, couple of sentences to the letter to Mike, how would you sign off your thank you letter? I think it was something on the lines of, you saved my life. But thanks to you, you help so many others who continue to be empowered by the sharing of this story that I have. You know, you gave me the courage to believe I could still be a broadcaster, even though it was the biggest challenge I was yet to face. And I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. And I love you. Oh, my cast sounds lovely. He's amazing. Mama Cass. Right then, so on to your second letter I have asked you to prepare is a letter to someone who is no longer around. Who would that be for? Is this kind of, is this hard? Because immediately I thought, my mum, I lost my, my dad last year as well. So, because I'm an only child. That's tough to lose both your parents when you're an only child. I've got three brothers and when my mum died and it literally felt like we were on the same branch of the family tree and I felt the comfort of them surrounding me on that line. Uh, You're not alone, they're still there. So it must be really tough when you're an only child. It's just, I didn't expect to lose them. My mum went at 62, my dad went at 72 because he ignored bowel cancer. So if anyone's listening to this and your toilet habits have changed or whatever, or you know someone whose toilet habits has changed, please don't do what my dad did and ignored it. Because he was scared. It was fear. It was just fear. And we found two unused bowel cancer testing kits in his office and he was just scared. But my mum passed of pancreatic cancer and she fought so hard, so hum- unbelievably hard. And by the time you find it, it's usually stage four, you don't. Yeah. It's the worst. It's the worst. When anyone says to me they've got pancreatic cancer, I don't know how to arrange my face. Yeah, I'm the same. It's heartbreaking. It's just hard. It, it's just... But my mum was 62 and she was a just, she was a party animal. She was in town every... I'd be out DJing or be in a pub somewhere. My mum was there as well, looking not mutton dressed as Sam, but just incredible. <laughs> Just amazing. She just got these amazing cheekbones. She just was awesome. Did she die before you transitioned? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she knew. Obviously, I'd been saying to her since I was a since I was a child that you know something's not quite right. I'd had a conversation with her. Well, I'd many conversations over the years, 
In fact, there was one day around the time of being 17, 16, 17, I talked about going to my GP earlier and how that was. There was one day she, I was just dressed in her clothes from head to toe and um, I just, uh, I just sat waiting for her to, to walk through the door. <laughs> and she did. She just calmly said, just go, up and stay, go upstairs and get changed. It'll all be okay. <laughs> and she was lovely and everything, but she just, I think it was a bit of a shock for her because she'd not, she'd never seen me. <laughs> but I did speak to her about it, but I'd never do, I'd not done anything about it because I'd not found the strength or courage or thought that I actually could or the world would accept me. So uh, she died a year before and some people said to me, oh, did you do it because your mum had died? No, I was, I was only, I was always going to do it. I was always going to do it. And she'd have, you know, guided me as I'm sure she does now from afar, guide me through. But she was, she was amazing. She had incredible style. She was just awesome and fierce as well. I think I get a lot of my girl from my mum. My values are treat people the way you like to be treated, have respect for others. And my favourite thing that I live by is don't be a twat. Don't be a dick was my mum's. Yeah. yeah, don't be a dick. Yeah. Don't be a twat. It's not difficult. It's really we, we, not We've difficult. got different gendered versions of yeah, the we same are, thing. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. Dick, twat, don't be one. The brownies once gave me, I, I, I did a speech to a load of brownie leaders, brownie and guides leaders, and I said, oh, you know, if we could just teach young people, just don't be a dick, I think we'd, we'd have got river. And then they had me a badge made up like a brownie's badge. Oh, amazing. So don't be a dick. <laughs> oh, that is the best thing in the world ever. It's literally one of my greatest possessions. Do you I still absolutely have the badge? Love it. Yeah, it's one of my best possessions. Awesome. Oh, it's, gosh. it's the best. Do you want to write your second letter to your mum or? Can I have two? Yeah, go for it. I want to write one to my mum and I want to write one to my former self. Mm, amazing. So your former self. Because it's almost like, you're expected to run away from your former self. You're expected to burn old photos and, you know, that person never existed. It's not just a transitionary thing, is it? Like, I often think, what would I say to my 16-year-old self? Yeah, exactly. I'm proud of, you know, I'm still the same person. I've still got the same values. I just look a bit different. But, all you know, my emotions are a little bit different because they're in line with who I am, you know, because it's not fighting against testosterone but I would love to say thank you for carrying me through the darkest times you know showing me that by believing I could achieve because I have a saying believe achieve and believe achieve is something I've always said to myself even from being a kid I was from I'm from a council estate in Barnsley where I was raised on gravel and diesel and I was just expected to go and work in the local factory that's what was, I wouldn't, I wasn't, I wasn't meant to go and work in the world of broadcasting. I wasn't meant to do this. Well, society deemed I wasn't. So I knew believe, achieve, believe, achieve. And I read that in a book because I got really bullied quite badly at school. So I would stay behind because I didn't walk out of the front gates because I would I'd get, as they say, your head kicked in. So Miss Rose, who was the library teacher, and um, she was way past retirement age when I was there and she stayed on and she, I think she lived to the back. She was about 102. Incredible. I think school librarians exist forever. <laughs> they are people who, they're institutional. Yes, yeah, she, yes. 
And she saw a vulnerability in me and she definitely, she used to give me books to read. And I was reading a book one day and it said something, believe, achieve. And I'm 14 and it stuck in my head. And I do a lot of keynote speaking. I do a lot of public speaking, going to businesses, small and large, you know, across the world to, you know, and this country, of course, you know, to tell my story of Believe Achieve, the fact that, you know, there's two layers to my story. There's the radio, there's the transition, but, you know, there's, it's all fused together. And it's a celebration, but it also, also shows you that you can achieve your dreams and you can be your true self. So, you know, my former self, if I'm referring in the second person, which feels odd, you know, showing me that by believing I could achieve and I will never forget you, even though sometimes I do try. Yeah, I mean, it must be weird to have a sort of wanting to forget and also gratitude and, mind you, memorialising, I suppose, is the term that you would use for that. There's some people who find it really, really difficult because, you know, like... Not not like difficult, like because they, you know, are unaccepting, but it's just the only thing I can liken it to is I have a friend who is an actor and his stage name has become his name, but it's not the name that I knew when I grew up. And so I can't, sometimes I just can't help it. You know, now after all these years now, uh, it's fine. It's done. It's, it's transitioned in my mind, but for ages, it just, it, it just didn't. And I was just like, oh gosh, like, so... The fact is, is that you existed as somebody different to the person you feel that you are now, but to them, their life experience hasn't gone away. Like, you know, their memories, their their life experience of you being in it. Yeah. And, and as I call it, they've got previous on me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've got previous, because, you, you know, you, I may look completely different, but my eyes might roll the same way. I might do something, you know, with my mouth, which reminds them or something or I don't know but you kind of I think to move on and to get people to accept you who you are today you need to kind of move away from from that person and there was a time because the story was quite public it was there was a big interview with Stephen Nolan on Five Live it was such I can say such a hit (laughs) it was it it got such a response to it that they they replayed the interview in its full entirety the following night again and it was in all the newspapers and everything so and then you start becoming a, a kind of not a figurehead but you you a spokesperson so you appearing on tv and and what that starts to do is define you so after a couple of years doing that I was like no the phone's only ringing when it's something to do with gender no the phone needs to ring for work for me as a broadcaster, for me as a presenter on television, for me as a host. So it's really hard that when you become like the forefront of, um, and there are some things I don't mind, but people will like any story about any anybody getting a death threat or something. And then they'll ring me up and say, can you come and talk about having death threats? And I'm like, oh God, it's just really tiring. I don't, I don't really identify as a person who gets death threats. I'm just like, you know, I, I, that's not how I identify myself. I was just walking down the road and now you've been like, you get death threats. And it's like, okay, stop it. And it becomes it becomes actually a little bit tedious. Yeah, and that's a perfect example, Jess, of, of it defining you. And... You're much more than that. That's not even anything 
you know, to do with you didn't create that. Yeah, exactly. It, but it is just sort of, it's, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. Like, you know, you need a quick and easy phone call to get someone who will come on and won't make a total cock up of it. Like, I, I understand people have got a deadline, but it is just sort of like, oh, God, no, I don't want to talk about that. And you you have to start saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to take me off that call list. <laughs> well, I did. I did. And, you know, Radio 4 Today programme will ring in and, you know, all the other outlets and I'd, I'd go on GMB occasionally and all like, And I was like, do you know, I'm done. I think I'm done. And that was the best decision I ever made because that allowed me to spend five or six years finding me. And I never get involved in Twitter spats or anything to do with it on Twitter because it's just... I mean, seriously, keep away from it. Yeah, I keep away from it. (laughs) I just tweet pictures of cats. and um, (laughs) That is the answer, It's the answer, yeah. That is the answer. But in recent times, I've realised that this story is... this, This story can help people and I've created this thing called Believe Achieve which has been the core of me my entire life, I feel really connected to that because I think it can help people. If you're in a relationship and you know that it's going nowhere, you look at your other half and every time you look at them, a noise inside your head goes, mm. and you know that in another 30 years, that noise mm, is going to get a lot louder. <laughs> so if, I, if you can draw strength from Believe Achieve... And press stop on that going, this is not working for both of us. We're wasting our lives. Let's press stop. And if someone can draw strength from that, or even they're scared of making a decision about buying that car, do it. Life's too short. So I think that's the the whole believe, achieve thing in my head means a great deal to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm really fired up about that. And I think that's my purpose in life now. So what would you sign off? First of all, a letter to your former self. What would you sign it off as? I would say thank you for carrying me through the the darkest times and showing me that by believing I could achieve, I'll never forget you, even though sometimes I I do try. And how would you sign off a letter to your mum? This is the hardest to kind of write, I think, because I can still feel a guidance and just before I say what I'm about to say about my mum, I was sitting on the edge of the bed on Monday night this week and I was flicking through voice memos looking for something. And I started scrolling back to see how far the voice messages go back on my phone. And they go back to like when I first got an iPhone, which is like 2008 or something. So I then started just flicking on odd ones and there's lots of ideas I'd forgotten about and everything. And then there's all the recordings I made of my mum secretly when she was dying, essentially. And I chat to her. There's one that I play every year on my birthday because I was born at 25 past 12. And I started this recording at 10 past 12 and she talks me through my birth and my first few days and years on the planet. And it's I play it every year without fail on my birthday. And there was one that I've not listened to since I recorded it. And... I ask her, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying, you know, in, in other words, I need to transition. And I'm saying to her, mum, what, what do I do with my life? And she says, I know how you feel. I know. And it's all going to be okay. And I said, but I'm just going to be alone for the rest of my life. No one's going to love me. And she said these words. She went, you'll find your little treasure. And I only heard that on Monday and it's been in my mind all week. 
I'll find my little treasure one day. I can still feel a guidance. And she watches over me as she kind of steers me through these tricky twists and turns of life from afar. And she told me to plan for my future and carry on. And I am doing. And I promise I will find my little treasure. Well, if not, it's just me and the cat. I mean, honestly, sometimes that would be easier, although my cat hates me. My cat's a misogynist. I only live with men and he loves all of them. Doesn't ever bite them. He just cannot stand me. I think it's like, I can only put it down to deep-seated misogyny. Oh my gosh. On his part. (laughs) We'll be back for Steph's final letter after a short break. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, so the final letter is, you know, a bit different. Is somebody who you want to send a letter to, but that maybe doesn't realise, or maybe that you don't know, or maybe doesn't realise what a significant role they played in your life. When I was around 11, I think, or 12, I was off school and... It may have been half term or something because my parents went out to work and pretty much, you know, they left you at home just with the instructions. Don't burn the house down. Okay. Or tease the dog. And I was laying on the sofa. I was falling asleep. It must have been a rainy day or whatever. And I woke up to a programme on television hosted by Gloria Honeyford. She had a daytime show called Gloria. And there was a woman on there talking about her childhood, about how she wasn't a boy. All of a sudden, I dove off the sofa, landed on my knees in front of our Betamax video recorder, 
and our library of cassettes, which were in those books that looked like you'd got the entire works of Shakespeare. It's like, oh God, that, that is absolutely classic. Betamax is like the mini disc of uh, video recording. Like, it, you know, it really felt like it was going to have real promise. Yeah, and then yeah. Totally superseded by better technology. Exactly. We had all of these um, fake video covers that looked like there were books, but they weren't really. And uh, look, we've got the entire works of Dickens here as well. Um, <laughs> not really. It's just a pirated copy of E.T. from Bloke Down Road. <laughs> That I was told at school not to tell anyone that we got that I did. I thought the police were going to come and lock my dad up for having a pirated copy of E.T. But everyone had it. <laughs> so I dove off the sofa and I stuck tape number seven of our video library in the machine. The reason I know it was tape number seven, because tape number seven was never seen again. It lived under my bed. Because I recorded an interview with Gloria Honeyfed with this lady called Caroline Cosse. And... Caroline transitioned in the mid-70s. No one knew she had an incredibly successful career as a model. She was a Bond girl until she was outed by the news of the world in, I think, 1982 or something. James Bond Beauty is a Boy was the headline. So she was, so let me just get the story right. She was a Bond girl after she transitioned. Yes. And she's called Caroline Cosse. She was the first person I saw she was the first person I identified with. She was the first person that made me feel less alone. And she was on television promoting her book called My Story. And because, you know, I was from a council state, earned a little bit of money from putting records away for DJs and making tea. But I didn't have the twelve ninety nine or whatever it was from WH Smith to go and buy the book. So I had to go to... Barnsley local library and wait for this book to come in so for weeks I went in have you got Caroline Cosse my story and I could I th- you know on the 20th time they saw me approaching they knew no it's not in yet so eventually it came in and no one got to get the book out at all because I had it every time it said Hearst about 20 times and eventually the librarian said to me you're going to have to let this book back in because someone else might want to read it I was like all right okay so then eBay arrives 20 years later and I've got my own copy now, which proudly is on display in my book cabinet downstairs with all the rest of my books, including your book, which is there as well. It's, you know, they're all there. I can't tell you the joy that that thing is on display because it was hidden. I used to hide it under my bed. That book was my Google. That book showed me that I could do this and it inspired me. And drove me and made me believe I could one day do this. Is she still alive, Caroline Crossing? Yeah, she's my friend on Facebook. I was going to say, do you, have you ever contacted her? Yeah. I, yeah, we connected on Facebook. I think when she accepted my friend request, I, it was I did a little dance. It was like a little victory dance and everything. And it was, it was, it was wonderful. And I was like... I've done that dance yeah. when somebody's like, you were like, oh my God! believe it we're gonna be friends yeah it's it's the most amazing thing you know i don't know her. she lives in america now she's from the uk oh she's from the uk i was gonna say she oh that that makes it slightly different i was gonna say she lives in america how much does she know about barnsley council estates (laughs) probably not much doing what she did and everyone else who went before her people like april ashley who went before her and all sorts of other people 
you know, the courage it took for them to transition. You know, Julia Grant, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago, she was part of what can be classed as reality television. In 1979, she was part of a BBC Two documentary strand, a series called George to Julia. And they they chronicled her transition. In 1979, 23 million people tuned in to watch it week by week. Imagine what the world was like then for her. You can't. And the struggles and the fight and everything. And it's available now if you want to watch... Um, George to Julia or Julia Grant. I think it's on. It's on the iPlay. They've made it available. It's available to watch. It's only a few months ago. It became available. Look at the way and listen to the way her psychiatrist won't appear on screen. You never see him, but you hear his voice. Listen to the way he speaks to her and treats her. It's barbaric. And this is what people like me went through. But today, Jess, look at what's happening to people how people are being treated, not just here in the UK, but around the world, just for being their true selves. And the more we educate and the more we get people to understand, it's just a, it's just a birth defect. Also, it's exposure as well, I think. And, you know, people need exposure. And that's what you're saying, is that you were exposed to the story, you were exposed to this person's story, and that really helped you. And I think that, you know, the, the sort of the idea of being frightened of trans people or... I mean, no more than you should be frightened of anyone. Exactly. <laughs> um, but um, also, I just think it's become such a terrible division when I really just, you know, you could hope that we see a reckoning of, well, unity. Yeah, and acceptance. And I think the more people we see just doing their jobs, being successful in all minorities whether it's of ethnicity or gender or whatever, or disability, the more people we see just doing their jobs. If it's me being on, just doing something on telling, it's got nothing to do with gender. Hosting my radio show, which is on, here comes a plug, uh, nationally on Hits Radio every single Saturday night from 10 o'clock. Belters, which is all 90s, 90s and 10s dance anthems. But it never comes up. It never comes up. I never mention it. When I was on the BBC, I never mentioned it. I'm just doing my job. It doesn't define you. And I think the more people we see that from all areas of diversity, the better. Do you worry, and I ask this as a women's rights activist, do you worry that in becoming a woman, you know, you will face discriminations that you wouldn't have faced as, because, uh, you know, because the like, especially in broadcasting, when I think about uh, the idea of broadcasting, is that actually it's much, much harder for women as they get older um, in broadcasting than it is for men. It just, like Les Ross, we were talking about, back to BRMB. He was like a hundred and he was still on the radio and you wouldn't necessarily get that. You just, it's not, it's just not the same thing. And that's because women are discriminated against. And so you will face discriminations beyond being trans are because women face discriminations. Yeah. And we need to, and, and the more we do to talk about this, it's having the conversation. And, and that's how we change things. By having these, you know, some conversations, as you well know, they're tough to have, but we have them and we can change things. And yeah, I do fear, I didn't realise this male privilege that I once had. I didn't bloody want it. 
Do you find that people treat you differently? Like, oh my, like yeah. give you yeah. less less cake? Yeah, yeah. People said to me, I get less, like, you know, genuinely, like, people give me smaller portions and things like, you know, I get treated differently and I didn't realise that women got treated differently. I do quite a bit of property stuff outside my radio and public speaking stuff. And, oh, just when builders don't know and they've got no idea of my backstory or anything like that, the way I'm sp- spoken to, or if I'm in a meeting and it's a room full of men around a table and there's just me, you just, you not you talked over. You're just not even heard. I'm like, hello? And that wasn't the same? No, it wasn't. It's a shit gig, isn't it? <laughs> no, but it's... I know for it, you, no, it's considerably no, better. It's considerably, you know, I'm still pissed off about the shit gig. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm pissed off about the shit gig with it that comes... But do you know what? It was better than the noise I had in my head. And I think also... Walking down the street, for instance, heartbreaking, reading the Sarah Everard story. And I think her mum's words that I read will forever live with me. But I used to be able to, I I used to be able to walk down the street and not feel unsafe. Every time I walk down the street on my own, if I'm walking, I've been to the theatre, I've been somewhere and I'm walking back to the car, the key that you put in between your fingers they pretending to be on the phone to somebody. I wish there was some form of simulation we could make all men go through. To experience that, to experience it. Like, actually, you know, you'll never experience the emotion necessarily of that fear. But um, they did a brilliant virtual reality thing. Uh, my husband works in virtual reality. And they did a brilliant virtual reality thing of the experiences of a black person getting onto a bus. So you're seeing the way that their people are reacting to them like a simulation about how it, it's different to how you, you as a white person would experience getting on a bus. And so, yeah, that you know, this idea that you, you experience the night time or being alone differently when you live as a woman than if you live as a man. It's the reality of it and it's hard. And it's just going back to what I was saying. These are the conversations that need to be had. Right then. Well, so I've kept you for much longer than I should have. As I said, I'm too chatty and my phone, my computer's almost certainly about to shut down because it's been it's been threatening to do a parliamentary upload or something for ages. So It's been good though, I've enjoyed chatting. Ah, yes, like therapy, isn't it? It's nice to have a chat. So we are sending letters to the lovely and brilliant hugging Mike Cass to your mom and your former self. And your former self, who I'm going to, you know, link them together in that your mum only ever experienced your former self. And you lost them both at a similar time. So that's why I'm allowing the two against Thank the rules. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you've been allowed, that one. And to Caroline Cossey, who I'm now going to go and read up loads about because that seems like a brilliant story. Actually, I forgot I should add this in now. We didn't. How would you sign off your letter to Caroline Cossey? Presumably you wrote a Facebook message to her. Yeah, I think when, when we connected and I kind of did, you know, I did, I did say to her that, you know, thank you for, for everything because I think people say that to her a lot because she was, you know, one of the first real public ones. But I would say to her that you were the first person I saw who was like me, you made me feel that I was, I wasn't alone. Your courage to be your true self helped me and countless others to find their path in life. For that, I owe you so much. 
Thank Good you. Old Caroline Cossey. I'd never heard of her. I find this an amazing story that she was a Bond girl. Amazing. Nobody knew. She's beautiful. Like, just, it, it, I suppose in a social media age, that would never happen where everybody knows everything about everybody nowadays. Well, the thing is, you know, trans trans people are, are all around us and have been for forever. Some people you wouldn't know, but why does that matter? Why does it? Yeah, there is a difficult thing of like, can you pass or... Um, yeah, as someone said to me, you know, it's okay for you. You've got passing privilege, and I'm. But you feel the same way as I felt, and why should you get a rockier ride than I do? It's not right. It's not fair. It's like you know, black women are more discriminated against than white women. It's it's shit, and we got to spend the rest of our lives making sure that things are better for everyone. Exactly. Across the board. Calling time on the bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yes, let's do that every day. Right, well, it has been a total pleasure, Steph, chatting with you. It genuinely has been really, really, really lovely and reminded me in a totally non-triggering way of many of the things from my teenage years. Uh, it's reminded me of Sutton Park, Take That, BRMB, Party in the Park, Jezza Late and Live. I had no idea that I had an encyclopedia memory and was geeky about the radio until this conversation and you have drawn that out of me so who knew an et on pirate video as well et on pirate <laughs> video I, I mean i feel that that's like a rite of passage i think it is <laughs> jess it's been amazing thank you so much for allowing me to, to chat with you today on on this amazing podcast and congratulations on it because it's a wonderful listen oh thanks well you take care Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends telling them all about this podcast? You could also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.